I think we'll get to finish the uh, finish the chapter today. First John chapter three. Probably we ended in verse eighteen last week. We're going to start in verse nineteen, but I'm going to go ahead and read eighteen again because it all kind of connects together. So let's pray as we uh, ask the Lord to bless our time, bless our reading of His Word, and uh, just to prepare our hearts to hear what He has for us. Father, we love you. We come before you today, God. We just thank you so much for, Lord, the blessings and the mercies that you've just rained down upon us this week. God, we, uh, we, couldn't, just, we couldn't stand here and count them all of, of what you've done. Lord, things that we don't even realize that you've been actively involved in. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord. We ask that you would come and that you, your spirit would just fill this place as we read your word, as we, uh, as we teach your word, God, as we get to hear what you have to say in this service, God, in, in Sunday school that's coming up and the second service at 1030, Father, we just pray that you would just uh, fill our hearts today as we come in, in, the, in worship of you, come to sit at your feet, come to uh, uh, exalt you and adore you, Lord. We thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done. We ask, God, that you would give us, uh, that you would give us hearts ready to uh, receive what you have for us today that you would get us ready to, uh, to hear your word and that uh, make sure, Lord, that I would say everything that you'd have said and nothing that you wouldn't have said today. And uh, go forth and uh, we thank you that you promised that, the, that your word all by itself is the power. So, so if even, even if I just stood here and read it, God, that would be, that would be enough for, for you to speak. And we thank you for that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you've been with us before in First John as we uh, walk, through the, walk through the book, uh, it, we're talking about evidence. We're talking about the evidence that you uh, have come to know God. It's, it's shown us over and over again. He's given us those three tests, the same three tests that we've seen before. We're going to get to see again the same three tests that you are uh, of the faith. You know, it's a lot of folks that say, I am a Christian just because, you know, I'm not a Muslim or I'm not a Jewish person or I'm not a Buddhist or I'm not a whatever. Uh, but the reality is Jesus said in John, the same writer who wrote the epistle of John, in the gospel of John, he said, you must be born again. And it's only those who are born again by the Spirit of God who are, are believers. Only those who have been born again are those who are right with God. And so uh, these teachers had come in and they were coming in telling all these kind of things. We've got the higher level. We've got the greater spirituality. And John's writing this book so that you will know that you have eternal life. He's writing it to make sure that you know that uh, this is what a believer is and this is what it looks like. And he's writing to give you not just the examination of whether you're a believer, but the assurance that you have that if you have trusted in Christ, if you've repented of your sin, there's no higher level for you to go reach. There's nothing that you need to do to be right with God. There's nothing that you need to strive to achieve other than to please God in your life. And you have a new heart that desires to please God. But if you have Christ, you have everything that God has to offer. You have everything that all the promises of God in Christ are yea and amen. And when you stand before God, the only thing that you will need, the only thing that you will have is Christ and him crucified, resurrected from the dead on your account. And so he's giving you these evidences and we've seen them before. We're going to see them again over and over again. Uh, the one who's been born again is the one who believes what God has said about himself. What Christ has said about himself is the one who obeys the commandments. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about direction. We're talking about a life that desires to keep the commandments of God. One that follows after his teachings, follows after his way. And the third thing that we saw last week, and we kind of focused on it, 
was the test of love. You love the brethren. If you have been born again, you have a heart that loves the brethren. First Thessalonians, it tells Paul says, I don't need to teach you about loving the brethren because you're taught of God to love the brethren. And so you have a new heart that desires to be with God's people. You have a new heart that desires to fellowship with God. Are you doing it perfectly? No, we're not talking about perfection. John has already told us that if the man says he's without sin, he, he's a liar and the truth's not in him. So we're not talking about you're loving perfectly every minute of every day. We're talking about a consistent testimony of life that you have invested yourself in the brethren. We saw that last week where we said, where he said, this is what love is. Love is that he laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our life for the brethren. That's the definition of love. Love is not just doing something good or, or being nice to people when you don't really like them. That's not the definition of love. And we saw that last week. So let me ask you this. Over the course of our looking through 1 John between chapter 1, chapter 2, and now as we come to the end of chapter 3, there have been times, and I'm pretty sure that it's true in your life. I know it's true in mine. There have been times where we've seen some of these statements that says, if you are of the truth, you are, you are obeying his commandments. If you are of the truth, you are loving the brethren. Some of these statements sometimes can cause you to, uh, when you examine yourself, to say, you know what? I- I'm a little troubled because I'm not doing too good. I'm not, I mean, I, I see these commands and I know that, you know, God has commanded me to love him with all my heart and mind and strength and soul and everything. And, but when I look at my, when I look at my life and I look at my day, like just take yesterday, the things that you did, the places you went, uh, did I love God as he deserves to be loved every hour, every minute, every of every day? Sometimes your heart will be troubled. I know that, uh, that quite a few people since we started walking through John, first John have come and said, you know what? I, my heart's troubled because I'm not doing good. I'm not, I'm not doing, uh, all that God would have me to do. I'm not, I, I find myself wanting to love the brethren and, and, and over and over again, I keep failing. I keep falling short. I find myself wanting to obey the commands and over and over again, I keep failing. I, I keep falling short. Uh, you need to understand something. We're going to talk. He's going to talk to us today specifically about this. And today we're going to see a balance between examining yourself and the assurance that you have in knowing Christ. We're going to see a balance between that. And I, I want to say one thing before we even get started. That's a good thing. When you are come, when you come to examine yourself and, and you're convicted of the Holy Spirit and you know what? I, I realize I have failings. I realize that I have sin. I realize that I'm not doing this perfectly. I'm not doing this the way God would have me. That is what God's word is for. It's for correction and reproof and instruction. If you don't need correction, then you, you're, you know, something's bad wrong, but that's the definition of correction. When you are going in a certain way, doing a certain thing, God turns you the other way and said, no, this is the way I want you to go. And you are corrected. You are rebuked. You are reproofed. You have, you understand that you are not moving in the direction that he wants you to move. You are not perfectly doing what he would have you to do. And that's what the word of God does. I heard somebody say just this week, he says, if you go to a church that you're not convicted at, you probably need to find you a new place because God's word is supposed to convict you. That's a good thing. When you examine yourself and you find uh, areas in your life that 
that, you know what, I, I, I need sanctification in this area. I need God to move in this area. I need something, I need something to change right here because my life, as I look at it and I lay it up next to the word of God, I see things that are expected of me that, uh, that I'm not really doing and I have to change. I have to move. I have to, uh, I have to have the spirit turn me into it in a different direction. That is what the word is for. And so it's a good thing to examine yourself. It's a good thing to examine yourself, whether you be of the faith or not. That is a blessing from the Lord. And it is a mark of the Holy Spirit. The one who is walking around out there in the world or in the church who is saying, you know what? I got it all together. Got it all going on. Everything's cool. I don't have to worry about anything. I'm good. Go get them, preacher. Go, you know, I'm glad you're preaching hard because they really need to hear it. That guy probably doesn't have the Holy Spirit, probably hasn't been born again because the Holy Spirit, when he said, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict the world. He'll convict the world of righteousness and judgment. If sin, righteousness and judgment, that's what the Holy Spirit will do. And so when you are convicted, when you are, you know, clipped at the heart, when you're cut to the heart saying, you know what, I've got to change. I've got to do something different. I know that I'm not exactly who God wants me to be. That's actually a good thing. That's actually a good thing. Now, we're going to see the difference between conviction and condemnation here, but Today, John's going to show us this balance. Last time we talked, we ended in verse 18, and uh, we talked about the, uh, the, the love that believers have for the brethren. If, uh, if uh, you claim to be a believer, if I claim to be a believer and I don't love the brethren, I have not invested my life in the brethren. We talked about that last week. It's not just about coming and sitting down in a green chair and listening to a sermon or listening to music. It's about investing your life it's about giving your life for the brethren. He says, if you, if you don't have that love, you don't have any assurance that you've been born again. He talks about that love and he's going to continue in verse 19. He says, let me read 18 just to get some context. He says, my little children, let us love not in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't just say that you love, but you love in deed and truth. And he says in verse 19, Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. He said, this is how we know. He's still on the, he's still on the topic of evidence. He's still on the topic of examining yourself. He's saying, by this love that we have, this love for the brethren, this love that's not just in word, it's not just saying that I love the bride, it's not just saying that I love the brethren, but it's indeed in truth. He said, by this we know that we are of the truth. So I want to show you two things today that you're going to have to balance in your own life. And the, the first thing we're going to see is the examination of all these fruits that we've been talking about. You have to examine your life. I can't examine you for you. You have to examine your own self. Examine yourself to see whether you be of the faith or not. Are you following his commands? Are you living a life that seeks to please him? Are you uh, invested in, a, in the brethren? Do you love the people of God? Or could you just uh, go off and sit under a tree and be fine and dandy with just doing that? He says, he says, and hereby we know that we are of the truth. This is how we know that we are of the truth. He's talking back about that love that he had just mentioned. But then he says something that should be so encouraging to you. It says, and shall assure our hearts before him. Now, understand what he's saying here. There's times I can look at myself and most of y'all who know me know that 
uh, I, I can look back at just very recently and I can say, you know what? I failed to love my brother in this area. I failed to love my, the brethren in this or in that. Uh, I, I dropped the ball right here. Let's just go on and call it what it is. I sinned right here and I, I'm not doing good. There have been times when, when we've looked at these commands that John's given us and we said, you know what? It, I, I, I'm just not doing good. I'm not doing good. And that conviction has come and repentance has come and, and, and trusting in Christ has come and all those things have been made manifest in you. And it says... This is how we know that we're of the truth. And because of this, because of this fruit that we see in our lives, we can assure our hearts. We can assure our hearts before. Let me go on to read 20 and then, then I'll put it all together for you. It says, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Understand when it says you assure your heart, that word assure is to say, I persuade my heart. I, 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 uh, I assure my heart. I, I make sure that my heart knows, you know, the, the truth about who you are before God is doesn't rest in your feelings. It doesn't rest in how good you feel today or how bad you feel today. I don't know about you, but if I get a virus, if I get sick, if I get something, a fever or anything like that, I'm just a big old baby and I don't feel good and I don't want nobody to talk to me and I want you to leave me alone and don't mess with me and don't, don't inconvenience me in any way because I'm a big old baby and it's all about me when I get sick. When somebody pulls out in front of me in traffic, uh, I, I don't much feel like a child of God, but my standing before God doesn't depend on how I feel. It doesn't depend on what my heart tells me because my heart, as scripture says, is deceitfully wicked. It's deceitfully wicked. My flesh is still my flesh and it still wants to do what my flesh wants to do. And there's a war every day that goes on between that flesh and that spirit. And it says, so look, he says, you can assure if he says, by this, you know that you're of the truth by the love you have, by the obedient life that you live. We're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about never, ever sinning ever again. As long as you live, we're talking about a lifestyle that has invested itself in God and God things, a lifestyle that follows after his commandments. We're talking about a, a desire that the Holy Spirit puts in you to want to seek after him, to want to please him, to want to fellowship with him and his people. We're talking about that love, that desire that is in your heart. He says, look, we know that by this, that we're of the truth, whereby we know we are of the truth. And it says, and if we know that you see that fruit, not that it's perfect, just that it's present, just that it's there. You're going to grow in it the rest of your life. But when you see and you know that the fruit of the spirits are the fruit of the spirits, the fruit of the spirit is there with, with you. You have love and you have joy. It's not perfect love yet. It's not absolutely uh, uh you know, never, never failing love yet, but you're growing in that love when you have peace and joy and long suffering and patience and all those fruits of the spirit. When you have these things there, they're just present there. He said, whereby we know that we're of the truth and we can assure our hearts. We persuade our hearts that we that we persuade our hearts that we're of the truth. Verse 19. Let me read it again. We shall assure our hearts before him. That's what I meant. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. So it's what, what he's saying is, look, God's word is what tells you. 
God's word is the standard, the authority of who you are in Christ. It's not about your feelings. It's not about how you feel today or how you feel yesterday or, or what you, what this says or what that says. You know, Satan himself is an accuser. That's what he does. He's not going to be, he's not going to be rattling pots in your kitchen. He's not going to be waking you up at three in the morning and biting you in your sleep or something dumb like that that you might see in the movies. What he's going to do is he's going to sit on your shoulder and he's going to whisper in your ear and he's going to say, did God really say Did God really say that? Come on, you can do this. This is not going to hurt you. This is not who you are. He's going to whisper those things in your ear. And it says, if our heart condemns us. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but your heart will condemn you. It'll condemn you over and over again because we still, although we've been changed, if you are born again, if you are a believer, although you've been changed, although you've been changed, you still live in this flesh and that heart will condemn you. It will condemn you. It'll say things like, you know, you're not good enough. You know, God's not going to accept you because you're not good enough. You're not living up to the standard. You're not doing what you need to do. God can't love you the way that the Bible says that he loves you because you're not good enough to be loved that way. You fail too much. You are failing too much. You're not doing good enough for God to accept you. Your heart will condemn you. But it says, look. It says we, because we've seen this evidence, we've seen the fruit of the spirit in our lives. It says we can assure our hearts before him. He says, if our heart condemns us, it says God is greater than your heart. You ever thought about that? God is greater. His word is the authority. It's not how I feel today. It's not if I'm feeling good, if I'm feeling happy. When tragedy strikes, you're not going to be uh, tiptoeing through the tulips and being wonderfully happy and, and everything's you know wonderful. But you can find the fact that it is well with your soul in the midst of tragedy, not because you feel so good, but because God's word is true and that he himself has declared you not guilty. He himself has declared you justified before him. And there's a peace to be found in that that passes all understanding because it's not your heart that feeling so good that's telling you that you're right with God. It's God's own authority, his word. He said, if your heart, even if your heart condemns you, he said, God is greater than your heart. God is greater. His word supersedes all your circumstances. It doesn't matter what you're experiencing. Doesn't matter what you're going through. Doesn't matter what's happening in your life. God's word is true. He said, you can be assured. That's why John wrote this book. He says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. God's word is the authority. Think of it this way. Um, Let's say a good illustration would be you find yourself, uh, maybe you found some symptom of a disease in you, you know, and all of us got the internet. We all get on web MD or whatever. And we look at, you know, it's like, <clears throat> I got a cough. What can it be? And you look it up, it's cancer. You know, that's one of the, one of the things. And automatically you immediately think the worst and you automatically think, you know, this is awful. It's horrible. And, and you know that the symptoms of whatever it is that you're going through, they line up perfectly with this deadly disease, whatever it is. Yeah. 
And you go to the doctor and you say, doctor, I'm pretty sure you've done convinced yourself by now that you're dying. And you go to the doctor and you you say, look, I've got this symptom. And you just go through all the symptoms that you have, all the things that uh, you, you are experiencing. And you know for a fact and the doctor knows for a fact that those symptoms that you are experiencing could be this deadly disease. It could be this. And the doctor says, well, we need to run this test and we need to run that test and we need to run all these tests. We need to make sure that this is not what it is and then we can work on something else. That's what they always do. We'll check the worst first. And so the doctor goes out and by by now, I don't know if you're a worrier or not, but by now you've just worked yourself up into a tizzy. I'm absolutely sure this is it. This is it because my symptoms couldn't be any other thing. I'm looking at them and yeah, I got this one and I got that one and I got the other one and I got this one and I got this one. It's just nothing else it could be. There's absolutely nothing it could be. And the doctor walks back in and he's got the test results in his hand and he says, you do not have what you think you have. And you say, well, that can't be because all these symptoms, doctor said, look, I got the paper. I don't care what you tell me. I don't care what your symptoms are. It's got to be something else because I've run the test and you don't have what you think you have. Now, understand, that's the picture that we're we're seeing here. We're saying, you know what? Look, my heart is condemning me. It said, look, I'm not good enough. I'm not I'm not right. I'm not doing everything that God has commanded me to do. I look and I see failings and I see sins. And if you are a believer in Christ, if you have a new heart, those things hurt. You cannot walk around in sin, committing sin, and it not convict you in some way. If that's your lifestyle, you're not born again. That's what the Bible says. I can back it up with a million scriptures. Please see me after service. If you are not being hurt by sin, if you don't have a heart that longs to be holy before God, seeks after God, you should not rest in any assurance that you have. But if you look at the fruit of that spirit and you see that I have a heart that desires more than anything else to be right with God, to be pleasing in his sight, to live after his commandments, to love him with all my heart, soul and strength. But yet I still see in my life that I'm failing here and I'm failing there. And I I see all these areas where I'm just not doing good. Understand when the doctor walks in and says, look, I've got the test results. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what your symptom shows. I've got the results right here. I've run the test. Here it is. God has said, if you've trusted him, if you've repented of your sin and trusted in Christ, he has said the verdict is not guilty. But God, I'm still failing here. Did you not hear me? I said the verdict is not guilty. And so he's saying, look, God's greater than your heart. God's word is the authority that says whether or not you have been born again. When God's word says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It doesn't matter who pulls out in front of you in traffic. Doesn't matter how you feel today. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter the things that are going on in your life. If he says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been saved. Simple as that. Now, I know that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to to recognize. It's a hard thing for us to uh, to accept, especially when we we feel like, you know, there's times when I feel like this and I feel like that. Understand the, the one of the fruits of the spirit is is joy. And we understand that. But it's not a, it's not a superficial joy. 
It's not just a, a, a happiness that we feel, you know, like I can go ride four wheelers and that makes me happy. Or I can go fishing and that makes me happy. It's a joy that exists down in our heart that says no matter what goes on. I can go through the most troubled times and I'm not happy during those times. I'm not excited. Sometimes I have grief in my life when loved ones pass or when something bad happens. But there is an abiding joy inside of me knowing that it is well with my soul, knowing that everything's going to be made right one day. And there's nothing that can come against me and prosper because of what Christ has done in me. He says, look, even if your heart condemns you. God is greater than your heart. I need you to get a hold of that. Up until now, as we've been talking through 1 John, we've been looking at 1 John, we've seen evidence after evidence. We've seen John say, this is what a believer looks like. This is what a true Christian looks like. And there have been times, if you followed this all the way up until now, there have been times when your heart has said, whoo, I'm not doing good. Understand that John is making sure these people know. He's saying, look, even if your heart condemns you, God's greater than your heart. Now, let me, let me make one distinction before we continue. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. If you're not experiencing, if you're not experiencing conviction from the Holy Spirit, not a believer. Uh, we, we've heard it described this way. I don't remember who told me this story, but it, it, it's like, if you go hunting with your hunting dogs and you're out in the, in the mud down in the bottom out there and you, you come home and the dog, you and the dog come in the kitchen and the first thing the dog does is, is does that thing, you know, that dogs do when they get wet and it shakes mud all everywhere in the kitchen. He said, if your wife doesn't throw a big fit and say, what in the world are you doing? That means she's not home. And the same thing happens with, with Christ in you. If you can throw that sin and, and mud and dirt all in that house and nobody says anything, you have no conviction, that means Christ isn't there. But let me show you the distinction between being condemned and being convicted. There's a difference. When you're condemned, that's something that's general. It's not specific. And it just says, you know what? You're just not good enough. You're not worthy. It doesn't tell you exactly what you've done wrong. It doesn't say this is what you need to fix. It doesn't pinpoint what's going on in your life. It just says, you know what? You ain't good enough. You ain't worthy. You're never going to be a good enough Christian. You're never going to be a good enough mother, a good enough father, a good enough employee, whatever it is. You're just not good enough. You're never going to amount to anything. It's just a big general, uh, you just stink. That's what condemnation is. You're not good enough. Conviction, on the other hand, is going to pinpoint exactly what you've done wrong. When you sin, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to convict you as a good father. And he's going to say, look, this is what you've done wrong. This is what you need to repent of. And if you would confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to, to uh, cleanse you of that sin and to, uh, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's just like a father. Can you imagine a father walking in? There are some like this, but can you imagine a good father walking into his child's room? And this is what he says. You know what? You're just not no good. You're never going to be any good and you're not good for anything. And it just, you're never going to amount to anything. And you're just dumb and you're just, you're never going to do anything in your life. That's not what a good father does. A good father will walk into your room and he'll say, look, son, this is where you've messed up. 
Okay, you went out and you did this and it was wrong. And I have to punish you for what you've done. There's going to be punishment. There's going to be conviction. There's going to be discipline and chastisement. But it'll always tell you what you've done wrong. The Holy Spirit will come and say, you know what? That was a sin right there you just did. That was that was something that's against my word. And you need to repent of that. You need to go and make that right with your brother. It, it, he'll tell you all kind of different things, the different kind of ways that you need to do. But that's the difference between being condemned and being convicted. When your heart comes to condemn you, when you when your heart says, you know what, through that through this study in First John, you've probably uh, felt this way before. You know what? I, I'm not doing good right here. I need to fix this and that and I, I, I need to stop this or start that or whatever it is God's been speaking to you. He says, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's the discipline from the Holy Spirit. He's trying to move you back to the path of righteousness. He's being a good father and disciplining you the way a father disciplines his children. He says, but sometimes your heart can condemn you. Your heart can say, you know what? You're just never going to make it. There's too much wrong. You're never going to be able to do this. You're never going to be able to live this life. You're never going to be able to uh, enact what God says you're supposed to be doing. You are just not built for this. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. He says, even when my heart condemns me, I can assure my heart because God is greater than my heart. And his word is what determines what reality is. Think about that. Your reality is not what you see, it's not what you feel, it's not what you think. Your reality of who you are is based on what God's Word says. That goes both ways. So many people walking around saying, I know I'm a Christian because way back when I was eight years old, I came and prayed a prayer and I know. It doesn't matter what you think. It's based on what God's Word says. If God's Word says... The ones, he says, whosoever doeth righteousness is righteous, as we saw in this very chapter in 1 John. That's a fact. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you feel. He says, if you, if you, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. That's in chapter 3 as well. We read that earlier as we were looking in chapter 3. It doesn't matter what you think or what you feel. God's word, if it says that you are righteous, guess what? You're righteous and you have the spirit of God inside of you. That's making you righteous day by day. And you are growing in that righteousness, but you have been forgiven. When I stand before God, I I say this all the time to people that I pray with or people that I counsel or whatever. If I've been born again, if I've been born again by the spirit of God, if I stand before him today, I'm going to be just like everybody else. I'm going to say, you know what? I I messed up here and I didn't do right and I didn't do good. This I wasn't good enough here and I wasn't good enough there. And he's going to say, you're perfect in Christ. Jesus did good enough. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus never sinned. And his life is your life. His life, his death is your death. When he died, you died. The debt for sin has been paid. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid that death. He paid that price. So it's been paid. Paid in full is what he said. And so when God's word says that we are righteous, if we've been born again, guess what? It doesn't matter how you feel. You're righteous. 
But understand this as well. When God's word says that you are not unless you have been born again, I don't care who told you what. I don't care how you feel. I don't care who you think God is. If it says that unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. If you're not born again, I don't care how good you're trying to live. You will not see the kingdom of God. Your feelings and your thoughts and your emotions and all those things, they have a place. I'm not saying they don't have a place, but what I'm saying, they are not the authority. The authority is the word of God. It says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He is the one that knows all things. And so let's continue. It says, if, uh, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. It, it's something about assuring your heart. You know, you, you and I, I probably won't get much further than this. It's almost time to go now. You and I, if we're believers, we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. You have to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Uh, Brother Eddie said something to me a few weeks ago about when we were talking about 1 John and, and, and uh, we were talking about some of those messages. And, and I'm, not, I'm not backing off of any of them. And he wouldn't want me to anyway. But some of those messages were hard. Some of those messages were convicting. Some of those messages where he said, you know, unless you are this, this and this, you don't have any assurance. Uh, He said, look, he said to me, this is what he said. He said, you can back me up this way and you can back me up. But but once I bump into that cross that you can't back me up any further than that. That's as far as you can back me up when it says you're not doing good enough. Yeah, I know you can back me up with all of those things. But once you back me up to the cross, that's as far as I'll go. That's what assuring your heart means. It says, look, you, you, you can tell me this and you can tell me that. And my heart can hurt and my heart can be convicted. But it's going to back me up only to the gospel, only to the cross. And I won't go any further than that. And I can preach the gospel to myself assuring my heart that that even if my heart condemns me, God, his gospel, his son, his death and resurrection is greater than my heart. And you can't back me up any further than the cross. You can't back me up any further than the gospel. You preach the gospel every day to yourself. Gospel is is basically the way I explain it to to the youth. It has two parts. Number one, you're a sinner. You're worthless without Christ. You're a sinner that has been stained completely and totally with sin in every area of your life. And guess what? You're not good. You're not good by any stretch of the imagination. There is no part of you that's good. Not your mind, not your body, not your thoughts, not your heart. There is nothing in you that's good. You know, when you preach that to yourself and you understand that, that that makes condemnation flee because Satan may come and whisper in your ear and say, you're not good. Guess what? I know I'm not good. I know for a fact I'm not good. You're not telling me nothing I don't know. He says, look, that, that's, the, that's part of the gospel. According to the law, I'm awful. I'm terrible. I'm wicked. I'm evil. I'm an enemy of God. According to the law, absolutely I know that. You know what? That, that keeps you from being lazy. That keeps you from being prideful. It's easy to get at ease in Zion when you start thinking how good I am and how good I'm doing. But if you preach the gospel to yourself every day, you know that I'm not good. And there's nothing that I've ever done good. But on the other hand, I also know by the gospel that I'm perfect in Christ. I'm not good in my own. I'm worthless. 
I'm worthless in my flesh. I'm worthless in my life. But with Christ, I'm absolutely perfect, absolutely righteous because of what he did, because of who he was, because of the life he lived, the death he died and the resurrection that he accomplished for me. I know I'm perfect. And that understanding that you preach the gospel to yourself every day, that keeps me from falling into despair. That keeps me from falling into depression. That keeps me from falling into woe is me. Because I know I'm worthless on my own. I know I haven't done anything righteous in and of myself. But I also know that he is righteous and I can assure my heart when it condemns me because God is greater than my heart. His gospel is more true than all my thoughts, all my feelings, or what my heart will tell me. It's absolutely true. I can assure my heart before him. I can assure my heart by the gospel, even when it tries to condemn me. We didn't just believe the gospel once. We're believing the gospel every day, every minute of every day. Every day I fall back on that truth that I am absolutely and utterly sinful, absolutely worthless, but perfect in Christ. Every day I have to tell myself that every day I preach it to myself. I I, I drink it down like water every single day so that it informs my thoughts. It informs my heart. It, it, It changes who I perceive myself to be, and it changes the way I walk. The gospel is the absolute truth. No matter what I feel, no matter what my mind tells me, no matter what my heart tells me, the gospel is God's word. And so you can't condemn the word. And so he says, look, in verse 21, I probably won't get done, but it says, beloved, he says, if our heart condemns us not, why, why would he say if our heart condemns us not right there? Because we have assured our heart. You see, our heart condemns us. He says before that, he said, for if he says, and hereby we know that we're of the truth and shall assure our hearts. We will persuade our hearts. We will assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. Beloved, if we have assured our hearts, If our heart condemns us not, then what do we have? We have confidence. We have confidence toward God. When we stand before God, does it, does it, think about this. You will stand before God. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care if you lost or you saved. You are going to stand before God. And I, if you are not, if, if that's not a scary proposition for you, you have not understood God from scripture because God is like a, I mean, his holiness is terrifying. All through scripture, you find men that have been faced with God, the presence of God. And every single time they're terrified. Isaiah said, you know, woe is me. I'm come, I've come undone. Just when he was in the presence of God and the angels are crying, holy, holy, holy. Moses was afraid when he, when he stood before the burning bush. Peter was afraid when, when Jesus, uh, uh, allowed him to catch all the fish. You know, when, when Peter said, look, we've already told all night and we, we've been out there, but you know, if you say so, we're going to go out and they went out and they caught all the fish. What did Peter do? He dropped down. He said, get away from me, Lord. He said, I'm a sinful man. The, the, the disciples on the boat when Jesus stilled the storm, they were afraid of the storm and they tried to wake him up saying, don't you care that we're perishing? And when Jesus got up and said, peace be still, they were more afraid afterward than before. Who is this man who can control the wind and the sea? 
When you are faced with God's holiness, it's terrifying. You're going to stand before him. And I've heard many a youth say, well, you know what? I'll just tell him. I'll just, I'll just tell. No, you won't. It's a terrifying thing. But look what it says here. If we assure our hearts before God, if we know that we've been born again by the spirit of God, if we know that we are in Christ and Christ has redeemed us and he has paid for our sin, we have confidence. We have confidence toward God. We can come before him. There is no fear. There is no worry. There is no, there is not no being terrified in his presence because we have confidence that Jesus has made us right before the father. It's not cockiness. It's not presumption. It's not pride. It's confidence toward God. We have confidence that we can stand before him and we know that we're righteous, not because we're so good, not because we've done so good, not because we've done anything righteous in and of ourselves, but because we have trusted in Jesus. We've trusted in his righteousness and what he's done. So it says, let me hurry up. It says, and we, it says, we have confidence toward God and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. John's point here is the same point as he began in chapter three. We are accepted. We are his adopted children. We just like a father, just like a father, we can come. We don't need some special status. We don't need some special teaching that nobody's heard of in 2000 years. We don't need some higher understanding or higher spirituality. We don't need any of that. All we need is Christ and whatever we ask, we receive. Now, I hope you don't mean I hope you understand that don't mean that when you ask for a Rolls Royce, God's just going to make it appear in your driveway. I mean, surely y'all smart enough to know that that's not what he's saying. Sometimes you, you, you'll call upon God and you'll say, you'll ask God for something. And sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is you got to wait. But let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. That, that, that doesn't mean this verse is not true. It says, whatever we ask, we receive. Let me ask you this. Especially those of y'all who've walked with Christ for a long time. When you look back on your life, when you look back on your walk with God, when you look back on your, your life in fellowship with God, have you ever been in want for anything? Has he ever not provided? Have you ever asked for something and he didn't give it to you? Something good and he didn't give it to you? No, you have not. Whatever you ask, you receive of God. Whatever, just like a child would come to his father. If it's good, you know, one time my daughter, when she was about four, she came and she asked for ice cream at like five in the morning. And part of me, being the idiot that I am, thought, you know what, I, well, why not? Shoot, I'll eat some ice cream with you. But I didn't give her any ice cream because I've learned that when I give her ice cream and send her off to school, the school's calling me in a couple hours to come pick her up because her belly's hurt. So she asked me for ice cream. I said, no, it's not good for you. You don't get it. I don't, I don't withhold it from her because I don't love her or anything like that. It's not, it's not what she needs. And God's not going to withhold anything from you that's good. He's not going to withhold anything. He has given you everything in Christ. He's given you everything. And so it says we have confidence before God and we know that we can come and we can make our request known to God. And God is going to give us our request. You know why he's going to give us our request? Look at the end of the verse. It says, because we're doing the things pleasing in his sight. That's the basis of our request. Now, if you run off out of here and you say, well, that's what it says. So I'm going to go on and I'm going to go on and pray for a new Rolls Royce. Then you're not doing the things pleasing in sight. 
I mean, it may be his pleasure to give you a Rolls Royce. And if so, more power to you. But for most of us, it'd be a bad thing. I know if God dropped a million in my bank account, I guarantee you what would happen because I know my heart. That would cause me to move away from God because I'd be so caught up in those things. He says, whatever we ask, we receive because we keep his commandments. We are living according to his commandments and we're doing the things that are pleasing in his sight. It's not perfection. It's a lifestyle of living after his commandments and trying to please him. We don't try to please him in order to get anything. We've already received everything. We have a new heart that's trying, that, that desires to please him. He says, whatever we ask for, we receive because we're pleasing. And then the last two verses, he's going to summarize the same three tests that we've seen before. It says, whatever we ask, we receive him. Verse 23 says, and this is his commandment. Here you go. This is what he requires of you. He says that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. That is, that's the Christian life. Believing on the name of the son and loving one another as he gave us commandment. And so the last verse says, and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him. Remember, we've talked about that word abide over and over again. It's the same word right here, dwelleth. It's the same word, abide. And he that is keeping his commandments, the one who is living after his commandments is the one who abides in him. It's the one who dwells in him and he in him. Talking about Christ in us. And he says, and hereby we know that he abideth in us. How do we know it? By the spirit which he has given us. Understand that that is the source of all the lifestyle of keeping commandments and loving one another and doing the things that are pleasing to God and asking what we will and this new life, this new heart, everything that we have, salvation is not just a sign hanging around your neck saying, hey, I'm saved. It's a spirit that God has given to you, a Holy Spirit that was before the foundation of the world. He's dropped that spirit. He's come into you himself and he's changed your heart. And that spirit inside of you is the reason why you keep his commandments. It's, he is the reason why you love the brethren. And so all of this evidence, please, I hope you uh, have heard me say this over and over again as we've looked through this letter to 1 John The evidence that we're seeing here of whether or not you are a believer is not how good you're doing. It's God's work in you. If the spirit dwells in you, then you will live a life that desires to keep his commands. If the spirit dwells in you, then you will live a life that invests itself in the brethren. You will love the brethren. If the spirit dwells in you, you will believe what Christ has said about himself. We're going to see that next week as we begin chapter four. Hopefully, if God doesn't change our our direction. So understand, it says we know. We know that he abides in us. We know that we abide in him and that, that we dwell in him and that he abides in us by the spirit which he has given us. That's how we measure the evidence. We can look at the evidence and say, you know what? 
I know that I'm a believer because my life is demonstrating the characteristics of obeying his commands, of following after his ways, of loving the brethren, but understand that evidence is not how good you're doing. It's what God has promised to do in you. So the question today is the same question that we asked before. The question is simple. Do you see the evidence? The evidence is not, I'm not asking you how good you're doing. Because if we all lined up, I could pretty much tell you how we're doing. We're not doing good. I'm not doing good. You're not doing good. I'm not asking you at what level your obedience is at. Because more than likely, it's all not good for all of us. I'm not asking you what level your love for the brethren is at because you're going to grow in it the rest of your life. And if we measure it today, it's probably not good. What I'm asking you is, is there a desire to keep his commands present? An overarching desire. I'm not talking about, well, I really wish I could. I'm talking about a burning desire. I I want To be holy as he is holy. I want to follow his commands. I want to please him. I want to love the brethren. It's my joy. It's my desire to be with God's people. To follow God's ways. If that is present, then you can have assurance. And you can can assure your heart when it condemns you. If that's not present, you have no basis for assurance. I don't care what you prayed I don't care what you said. I don't care how sincerely you say that you understand that there is a Jesus and that he died on the cross. I don't care. The Bible is clear. It's clear as crystal. First John, the one who has the evidence of the fruit in his life has been born again. I'm not asking you how good you're doing. Don't think, well, I'm not doing good enough. So that's not the evidence. Doing good enough is not the evidence. The evidence is, is it there? Is it there? You're going to grow in it. You're going to grow in it the rest of your life. So I know it's not perfect. I know it's not as good as it can be because you're going to grow in it as you grow in Christ. Is it there? If it's there, you can assure your heart when it condemns you. If it's not there, you don't have any ground for assurance. He says, if you trust him today, if you'd repent of your sin and trust in Christ, he said he'd save you. He said that his word is greater than anything you think or feel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Father, we love you and we come before.